It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosie. It's such a fine line between stupid and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosie. lovers. Welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocey, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Socey. The show is available as a podcast. It's also available on iTunes. And we have a blog, which someday will be updated at filmsociology.tumblr.com. And it's just you and me today, although the second half of the show we will go into the archives and replay an interview I did with actor and musician Tim Grimm. Uh, Tim is, a, like I said, a musician and an actor in his own right, and uh, his music can be seen and heard on stage at Indiana Repertory Theater with the play Finding Home, Indiana at 200, featuring songs by Tim Grimm. And that is running through uh, November 19th at IRT. So uh, well, anyway, we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk with, uh, replay my chat with him about his music and acting career a little later on. But I uh, do want to go to a address a couple things first off today is my daughter's 15th birthday happy birthday emma thank you for being a part of film sociology history back uh and of course introducing the film show or the blue show on saturday nights when uh when she is able and capable which is always um but uh part of my daughter's birthday weekend involved seeing the film dr strange which opened uh this weekend we got to see it in 3d and ladies and gentlemen, it's a film actually worth checking out in 3D. This is a, this is a standalone Marvel film. Um, you don't need to know the rest of the Marvel Universe, although Emma's friend would like her to see all the films of the Marvel Universe. Um, small steps. But of course, this is the one that stars Benedict Cumberbatch in the title role. Um, another Marvel character who is very successful and very cocky. So maybe he's Tony Stark's doctor in a future episode. But in this one, uh, Doctor Strange, a very successful and popular surgeon, he gets to pick and choose his, his patients and their worth and to be seen. And uh, in the, a moment where he has to lose everything in order to find himself. So there's a, there's a, a bit of a spiritual guide uh, journey for him, as well as his ability to... To uh, to wind up getting a, a very special power, which uh, of course he winds up utilizing later on um, to fight crime. 
in the film, of course, coming off the bench along with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, a solid cast, including Chiwetel Ejiofor, Rachel McAdams, who plays the girl, capital D, capital G. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is the villain. Tilda Swinton, yes, I know, she got uh, she and the film get a, a bit of a drumming because uh, the, her character of the Ancient One is supposed to be Asian, and Tilda Swinton is far from that. To be fair, they did not at least make they would have done makeup uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago. See uh, Marlon Brando in Tea House of the August Moon or Catherine Hepburn in Dragon Seed. Uh, e- even those two still slightly, still slightly better than uh, Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's. You see where I'm going there. Uh, also in the film, Michael Stolberg comes off the bench, Benjamin Bratt. So a, a solid cast. And th- again, this is one of these films that you don't need to know the rest of the Marvel Universe. This is a solid film in and of itself. Um, not the most groundbreaking material as far as there's training sessions. There is the loss. There is the recovery. Uh, Cumberbatch, who we've seen, uh, you know, he, we've seen him play fascinating, arrogant, uh, confident characters especially on PBS, as, uh, as we all know. So uh, this this comes as a second in hand for him. I will say uh, this is directed by Scott De- Derrickson, who uh, his best work, I think, is this film. He's best known for uh, working and direct- writing and directing. He also co-wrote the film. Uh, best known as a director for films like Deliver Us from Evil, Sinister, the remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still, the one with Keanu Reeves, and The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which I remember saying was uh, The Exorcist Meets a Few Good Men. Um, anyway, from a visual standpoint, it is at times the best-looking Marvel film. And uh, so we're checking out in 3D, and it's mostly about the visual scopes between this universe and the alternative universe that Doctor Strange and and the Ancient One are a part of, as well as Chiwetel Ejiofor's character. Overall, a visually impressive movie worth checking out in 3D. Not the most original, not the most groundbreaking, but an enjoyable couple hours nonetheless. And if you're a fan of Mr. Cumberbatch, uh, you're going you're gonna to want to check this out. Okay, shifting gears. Uh, no, we also have, and I, this was also a film I took my daughter to, hashtag family values, um, the, the new war film. From Mel Gibson, director Mel Gibson, called Hacksaw Ridge. And and it's, it's funny that they, of course, are pushing this not as directed by Mel Gibson, but from the director of Braveheart and The Passion of the Christ. You see where they're going there. Part of Mel Gibson's comeback uh, tour. But this is based on a true story, like every other film, based on World War II medic Desmond Doss, played by Andrew Garfield, a gentleman who wants to fight for his defend his country, but he doesn't want to use a weapon. And... Uh, it's it's a bit of an it's a it's a bit of an epic. It's a little bit of an epic. That's what I was trying not to say. Anyway, um, but we see Doss as a young man and uh, his strong church upbringing. Um, not the uh, not the most solid home life, especially with uh, alcoholic veteran dad played by Hugo Weaving, mom played by Rachel Griffiths. A little more solid, uh, but we see him growing up. Falling in love with Teresa Palmer, who wouldn't, and actually really nice, really nice chemistry between Palmer and Garfield in this film. And then the, the, the big moments in the middle when he's in basic training and will not carry a firearm, much to the dismay of his drill sergeant, played by Vince Vaughn, who looks like he's trying to do some comedic bits and uh, doesn't get a chance to, and his captain, played by Sam Worthington. Uh, the second half of the film 
has the big battle sequences uh, that uh, if you've seen Mr. Gibson's work as a director, um, he loves to show you violence in a very long way. Uh, not as slow motion and drawn out as, say, Passion of the Christ, but still pretty brutal nonetheless. Um, at times, not for the squeamish. But this helps balance out what Garfield's character wants to do as far as being a medic and wanting to heal and defend, but not kill. So that's an interesting twist on this. It, 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 I remember walking out of the theater and thinking, well, Mel Gibson has made his Sergeant York because there's a big moment um, where Sergeant York took down a number of soldiers all by himself. Um, Desmond Doss saved a number of his fellow soldiers um, all by himself as far as taking him off the uh, taking some wounded soldiers and stringing him down by rope off the ridge by himself. Um, that's the most impressive part is seeing that not the uh, not the bloodshed, although there's plenty of that. Gibson likes to show that to us. Um, but the the saving of one body after another. And yes, there is, again, nothing predictable, although this was my daughter's first war war film, especially World War Two film. Um it's interesting that Gibson has ta has done two things with this film. He has made a really violent war film, um, which is expected, I guess, because uh, you can get away with showing more these days, mixed in with, at times, the cornballness of a 1940s war film. Um, we have the, the, uh, the very plucky lead character, played by Garfield, Andrew Garfield, who's solid, um, and him uh, falling in love and then going through basic training. And, and by the way, we have the meeting with everybody in the uh, in the barracks. And, of course, everybody from Central Casting is there. The Southern guy, the, the West Coast guy, the East Coast guy, the Midwestern guy. Um, we'll get to the naked guy in a little bit. Um, but, but there are some moments, if you've seen enough war films over the last 70 years, uh, they, you know, the, the barking sergeant, there, there is a court martial scene, court martial court case that feels really clunky and they kind of wedge Hugo Weaving's character in there. Um, and it just felt that they had to have this in order to move the story along to get to the, to the big battle sequence, uh, that dominates the second half of the film. Um, so I guess to, to to I know Kobe Slagle would make fun of me of this. This is a a really solid war film to see if you've never seen a, a war film in your life, and in the case of my daughter, she has. Uh, this was her first. Um, anyway, it's 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 a good film. It's not a great film because of the some of the awkwardness um, and few moments. But as far as the brutality of war and the message, cause, of, of, especially with Garfield's character, obviously wanting to be a man of God and, uh, God fearing as opposed to wanting to heal life as opposed to killing it. All right. The film is rated R, uh, for good reason. I mean, it's, it's, a, there's a lot of scenes of, of headshots and bloody limbs and, you know, all of that. Um, or as they say, of course, in the rating system, intense, prolonged, realistically graphic sequences of war, something like grisly, bloody images. So it, it, it earns a solid R. There's a scene in the film in the barracks, and there is a character who goes by his nickname is Hollywood. He's uh, Luke. Uh, I'm sorry, Milt Zane, Hollywood Zane, played by Luke uh, Pegler. And uh, the so he, there's a shot of the camera going through the barracks, and you see Garfield's character, Doss, going through, and there's guys talking and smoking and playing cards. And then there's one gentleman who's doing chin-ups completely naked, and it's a, it's a shot from the back. 
And anyway, all the characters are introducing themselves to each other, as you're supposed to do in a, in a war film. And then Sergeant Vince Vaughn shows up and everybody has to stand at attention. Everybody stands at attention in proper stance, but the naked guy, he's covering his things. Now, if you're a part of the service, please email me at msociatewfyi.org and see if I'm right or if I'm wrong on this, that you would stand at proper attention even if you didn't have a stitch of clothing on you. But because this is a movie and American audiences are weird about male, not just nudity, in this case especially male nudity, um, the punchline of seeing him holding his, holding his, uh, his, his front area um, it plays as a bigger punchline, I guess. But uh, all the brutality and violence that follows this follows this sequence is fine, but uh, seeing a part of the body is not. So anyway, there's that. Ponder that. There's your there's your uh, MPAA uh, rant for the day. It should also be noted that opening in theaters this weekend in Indianapolis at Keystone Arts is the film Moonlight. Much talked about. We'll hopefully get a lot of buzz as the film as the the run continues. But about a young black man from a rough neighborhood struggling the finest place in the world in a story of human connection and self discovery. And I can tell you, my colleagues at the Indiana Film Journalists Association are really champion the film. So uh, anyway, that is out there as well. Um, Going to the IU Cinema calendar, again, all of this depends on what time you're listening to this show since it's on three times a day. So starting November Saturday, November 5th, today at 3 p.m. at IU Cinema, the 1931 comedy great from the Marx Brothers, Monkey Business. And then at 7 o'clock is a part of the East Asian film series from 2014, The Royal Taylor. Sunday, December, or Sunday, November 6th, um, the at three o'clock as a part of the International Art House series and the Southeast Asian Film series, uh, the 2015 drama Taklub, and then at 6:30 p.m. as a part of the Art House series Being 17. Monday, November 7th, appropriate, the day before the election at 3 o'clock is a part of the Monday Matinee Classics from 1939, Frank Capra's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, starring Jimmy Stewart. And then um, 7 o'clock, the documentary The Beauty Academy of Kabul, all on Monday, November 7th. And then on Thursday, November 10th, from 2016 at 7 p.m., as a part of the International Art House series, The Handmaiden. And then mark your calendars Friday, November 11th, um, as, a, as a part of the Guest Filmmaker Lecture Series. Uh, Todd Wagner will be lecturing at 3 o'clock. And then at 6 p.m., 6.30 p.m., Good Night and Good Luck from 2005. And then at 9.30 p.m., The Handmaiden at 9.30 p.m. All of those on Friday, November 11th. And then Saturday, November 12th, at 3 p.m., the See the World Free Your Mind animated short series at 3 o'clock. And then at 7 o'clock, the Trailer Film Festival 2016. So all of those are happening at IU Cinema. You can still go and see a film at the drive-in at the Tibbs. Uh, apparently, it's going to be running through, I guess, November 13th, or they're just going to keep on going. On screen one, Trolls with Miss Pettigreen's Home for Peculiar Children. Uh, that's not a bad double feature. Those seem to match. Um, screen two, you have Inferno and Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. On screen three, Doctor Strange and the Accountant, action films. Um, screen four, Boo, a Medea Halloween, along with Ouija, 
Origin of Evil. All of those are happening at the Tibbs Drive-In. Now, nothing is happening over at the Skyline Drive-In, but it should note, mark your calendars, December 2nd and 3rd, you can go to the Skyline Drive-In in Shelbyville. December 2nd and 3rd, they're going to be showing Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So if you've always wanted to go to the drive-in in December, we'll see how the weather holds up. Anyway, that is happening there at the Historic Art Craft Theater. Um, again, depending on what, actually, right now is the Cartoons for Cans Festival. Um, heading down there. Uh, tonight, Saturday, November 5th at 7.30 p.m., they're showing Stripes. Bill Murray's a very happy man right now, especially with the Cubs winning the series. Um, mark your calendars November 18th and 19th at the Art Craft Theater, Irving Billerin's Holiday Inn. That's the one with Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire, and Marjorie Reynolds. Elf will be there November 25th and 26th. Uh, a Christmas Story, December 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. It's a Wonderful Life, December 9th, 10th, and 11th. And National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation on December 16th, 17th, and 18th. Um, I think Mary Hoppins is happening now at the IMA Museum. On December 3rd at the IMA Museum as a part of Indie Film Fest, in partnership with Indie Film Fest, December 3rd, Muppets Christmas Carol. So there is that. Now, normally around this time, Chris uh, Lloyd would say, let's talk about dead people we like because we don't have time for dead people we don't like. Actor Don Marshall uh, passed away earlier this week at the age of 80. Best known for uh, being one of the, uh, he was the pilot in the series Land of the Giants from 1968 to 1970. Also appeared um, uh, in a 1967 episode of Star Trek, um, going against conventional wisdom. Uh, this sort of thing. Also did a lot of TV, appeared in film, uh, shows like Good Times, Capital, Mission Impossible, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, but also appeared in films like The Interns, Uptown, Saturday Night, and the, yes, the Ray Milland, Rosie Greer classic, The Thing with Two Heads. Um, anyway, but a working guy, also appeared in films like uh, The Towering Inferno, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Towering Inferno and Poseidon Adventure were produced by Irwin Allen, who did who is a producer on Land of the Giants. My mistake there. I'm not reading ahead, apparently. Um, so, anyway, a salute to uh, to Mr. Marshall there. Also appeared in the film Terminal Island from 1973. Okay, you know, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back after the break, we'll talk about what's new on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, some old title, or some new titles, uh, one old uh, sale of note, and then we'll get to my interview with Tim Grimm. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org.
Hi, I'm Chef Danny Boone from Recipe Rehab, and you're listening to Film Sociology on WFYI. Hey, this is Doug Jones, and you're listening to Film Sociology on WFYI. Hi there, I'm Claire Robinson, and I'm so excited to be talking to Film Sociology on WFYI in Indianapolis. Welcome back to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocy, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter at Matthew Sosi. Okay, uh, going through the DVDs and Blu-ray titles this week, I should make a note, if you're a movie collector, um, from now until the end of November, there's a certain chain bookstore yes they're still in existence um it's you know the one that's not borders because borders isn't around anymore but um you can get 50 percent off dvd and blu-rays from the criterion collection so uh if you like to save up for stuff like that i know i do um that is happening now through the end of the month and to get ready for election time i uh i've purchased a blu-ray of the manchurian candidate which i might be watching election night um, here at the Sosi household, uh, Emma has made the tradition of, uh, besides it's her birthday, happy birthday, Emma, uh, on, uh, on election night, she likes to watch the Alexander Payne film election. So we'll be doing that. And depending on how Tuesday night rolls around, how it winds up, I might be watching the Mancurian, Manchurian candidate right after that. So anyway, that is happening at your favorite chain bookstore if you have those still in town. Okay, a uh, few titles uh, of note on DVD and Blu-ray, new title-wise. Uh, Star Trek Beyond is the big title this week. Um, enjoyable. Uh, we got to see them uh, like, an, like the old show uh, uh, plot point line of having them separated in pairs and trying to find their way back and the dynamics de- dealing with uh, the person that they're stuck with, especially Bones and Spock uh, is very entertaining. So it's fun. Um, it's worth a rental. Um, you know, it's this is the third reboot film, and the first one was probably obviously the most enjoyable. Second one was kind of a rehash, obviously, of Wrath of Khan with Benedict Cumberbatch, who we talked about earlier. And uh, third one's... Again, enjoyable, kind of same, probably slightly better than the last film. Um, and, and we're done with use of music by the Beastie Boys in the Star Trek series. He used it twice, kind of silly the second time around. Anyway, that's out there. It's, it's worth a renting. And it's probably the best of the lot of the four films that are new this week that I got to see. Um, I saw in theaters Sea of Trees. Um, the new film from Gus Van Sant, starring Matthew McConaughey, Naomi Watts, and Ken Watanabe. This is one where McConaughey is a uh, is an adjunct teacher who's about ready to kill himself while going through a uh, a famous uh, forest in Japan known for people committing suicide. He meets a a man in much physical worse shape than him, played by Watanabe, and. Uh, McConaughey winds up having a change of heart to a certain degree. Um, and this is one of these films that since since winning the Academy Award, McConaughey has appeared in a lot of films where he has the same hushed tones that he does for the, uh, the car commercials. Um, he also gets a chance to work with Gus Van Sant. Um, it's, it's a slow paced film. It's not a slow film. And there's, there's a slight difference on this. It's a somber picture. And, uh, for people will probably complain that there's not a lot going on. Um, but I think what following the McConaughey character and not being able to rely on his bag of tricks, which is how he kind of 
that's not entirely true. He he used some of his bag of tricks when winning for Dallas Buyers Club, but utilized it in the in the in the right direction. Anyway, that is out there. Uh, but I there are times, ladies and gentlemen, when I rent films because I miss them the first time around in theaters. You know, the show has been on the air for seven years, and, and it, there are times where I kind of I get to pick and choose what I want to review because that seems more interesting for me to share this with you. Um, I, I don't know what what new material I could bring to a film like Nine Lives or Bad Moms, both of which came out on video this week, both of which I wound up renting at the same time. Um and Emma and I watched Nine Lives together. Yes, this is the Kevin Spacey is a talking cat. Um, my my fear was that he's getting paid. Kevin Spacey got paid more for Nine Lives than he does doing House of Cards. I don't know that that's entirely true, but it it seems like that kind of project. Spacey plays a businessman who doesn't have time for his family, uh, especially wife Jennifer Garner. Way to go, big shooter! Uh, but through a series of wacky PG-rated circumstances, his body, his mind winds up in the body of a cat. So if you want to hear a cat with Kevin Spacey's voice roll its eyes and talk sarcastically, this is the film for you. Um, and you know we've seen plot points like this before, going back to the Shaggy Dog or the Shaggy DA, um, those pictures. Um, and and there's also and that's what the film is kind of pushed as is uh, we have a human stuck in cat form. Uh, what they don't show you is that it be, the, how he gets there. There's a little bit of the film ghost involved in this because uh, Spacey's character is going to uh, help uh, launch a new high rise. And uh, there's a little bit of a backstabbing betrayal from a business partner. And it seems like Spacey's going to be uh, plunging to his death, but because of uh, go, falling into a coma and dealing with a cat whisperer played by Christopher Walken, Trust me on this. Um, he winds up in the body of a cat. And so and only the cat whisperer can talk to him. So then it's adjusting to his new feline surroundings. And of course, Spacey's character has to become a better human being in cat form in order to get back into his body. Um, probably one of the more distracting things about the film besides the ludicrous storyline is and the fact that it's a darker film than the way the trailers are showing you. But there's a mixture of real-life cat and CG cat that's not really consistent. Yes, yeah, so you, you know it's a CG cat, obviously, when there's a lot of uh, wacky stunt work uh, leaping from and bouncing off uh, canopies and hopping on the cars and motorcycles, things like that. Um, but it, it's just off-putting. And what's also off-putting is that this is directed by Barry Sonnefeld, the, the, of course, the uh, famed cinematographer who wound up becoming a director in his own right. It's been a long time since Get Shorty and the Addams Family, and, uh, and, and, and now they're working on this. So the young kids will probably like this a lot more. Um, you've been warned. Then we come to Bad Moms with Mila Kunis, Christina Applegate, uh, Kristen Bell, Katherine Hahn, um, I think we're done with the bad films. Bad Santa, Bad Teacher. The Bronze might as well have been Bad Gymnast. And, of course, we still have we have uh, Bad Santa 2 coming out very, very soon. Uh, Kunis plays a mom of uh, two, teenage, or two middle school kids, and uh, life is difficult. She has a, part, a part-time job um, along with her kind of lackadaisical husband who has full-time work but doesn't have full-time husbandry. 
and uh, dealing with the kids and then find, dealing with the domineering PTA president played by Applegate. And she, along with two other moms who are fed up, decide to be the title characters. Um, I'm not this is not a dig uh, uh, on moms. It is the hardest job in the world. Uh, big salute to my wife and the moms out there. And and I know there's a bunch of mothers that want to see this film because this is the times this there are times that they just want to cut loose and be free. Um, as you know from listening to the show, I am not a big fan of people. Woe is me! I'm no long. I'm no longer young. I'm no longer hip. I'm no longer relevant. Uh, the probably the most recent big crime is the film This Is Forty. Um, this isn't as bad as that. But the fact that Mila Kunis's character is in her early 30s and uh, with two teenage, well, almost early teenage kids, um, and and you don't walk in slow motion, folks. You don't walk in slow motion. You don't have generic music thumping as you're walking in slow motion, and your time out is to cut loose and chug cereal and booze bottles at the grocery store while slapping the clerk and kissing the clerk. Um, if this is your fountain of youth, I can't help you. And if you're stuck in the suburbs and you're thinking about your younger days, you picked your path. I should know. I picked mine. So as somebody who's never been hip, never been cool, never been relevant, um, I have no sympathy for those. You know, Like Catherine Heigl's character in Knocked Up, like the husband and wife in This Is 40, and the the 330-somethings that want to act like high schoolers, because also the film does turn out to be a lot like high school, uh, especially the clash between Mila Kunis's character and Christina Applegate's character, who could be a, who probably was a plastic in high school, but the new plastics, of course, is being the head of the PTA, and you have Jada Pinkett Smith as one of your minions. Out of nowhere, we find out that there's an election going for the PTA, which drives the second half of the film of Mom versus Mom. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of moms out there that are going to rent this with their girlfriends. Um, it's not quite the magic mic experience, but um, there's just for me, there's just no room for a film like this. And it's from the uh, the guys who wrote uh, the Hangover series, and they directed Twenty One and Over, and it shows. It it feels at times like a lifetime or a Disney Channel movie, but R rated. Um, yeah, so I I. I I, I was hoping that Miss Kunis has uh, would get more offers in the line of Black Swan, but I know more people are going to see Bad Moms than they are Black Swan. So, anyway, that's out there. Those are those are the big four titles. Um, probably start with Star Trek, then Sea of Trees, and and I would stop there. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, um, as I said before, we are going to dip into the archives. Um, Tim Grimm, who I've had who I had in the show, I believe last year. Um, just a, I, I've referred to him at the beginning of this chat as a true Renaissance man, actor, writer, songwriter, musician, singer. And uh, you can see him on stage at the IRT in the production Finding Home, Indiana at 200 with songs by Tim Grimm. So uh, anyway, Tim had put out a recent release. Uh, this is the play Finding Home is running at the IRT through November 19th. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike, chat with Tim Grimm. So Tim, how often have you been called a Renaissance man? A Renaissance man. You you bounce from uh, stage, screen, TV, music. Uh, it's not a not a bad job to have. I think half a dozen times I've been called a Renaissance man. Okay, so now seven. 
<laughs> if you're going to make it seven, so be it. Okay. So for those who don't know, tell tell folks about the film uh, At Any Price. At Any Price was shot uh, a couple of summers ago up in uh, central Illinois in the Decatur area, up in real true farmland. And it was director Ramin Barani's fourth film, but his first real uh, film with known, uh, recognizable actors of some stature like um, like Dennis Quaid. And uh, it's it's an interesting film. It's a it's a personal film on on a on a ring level. It's also a, a little bit of a political film in the sense that it's talking about contemporary farming issues like GMOs and 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 marking seeds, selling seeds, etc. And uh, for, for those who haven't seen it, what what is your big moment in the film? My big moment is uh, as Farmer Alex, um, one of Dennis's uh, former uh, seed customers. He's both a farmer and a seed salesman. Um, my big moment is when he comes over to try to pitch me on uh, his latest uh, seeds, and um, we have a lovely little scene uh, that ends up uh, going out on uh, motorcycles across the field. How did you get involved with the project? Um, as most of these things happen, I'll get a call from my agent up in Chicago. I've been working with uh, an agent up there for about uh, 25 years at least. And we've had a great relationship. They'll call me when a casting director calls them about a project coming into town. And um, this was that same scenario when I went up and and, uh, did a reading on on tape or film. And then the director came to town and and requested to to meet with me. And I ended up reading for three or four parts in that movie, which is always the light you think your heads go up exponentially if if you uh, are asked to read for more than one part. But... um, he uh, he, pretty much. Uh, I would be in the movie. He just didn't know where and how. And uh, so, w- how long before you found out? Uh, this one, um, I you've got a pretty good inkling. They'll they'll t- tend to put you on uh, on what they call hold, um, which can last anywhere from uh, two or three days to a couple of weeks. And um, I, I think this was technically a couple of weeks at least before we, we found out exactly what I would be doing in the movie. Although, as I said, I was pretty confident I would have some some part in there. And uh, how long did your your portion take? I went up twice. Uh, first time I went up, I filmed two days on location at the farm and um, where we shot. And then the third time I went up, it was it was shot seasonally, and um, so we shot in the early part of summer, and then we shot the uh, the the mid part of fall during harvest season. Uh, so I went up during harvest season as well for a one of the final scenes in the movie, which is a, a big uh, sort of a, a company picnic that a lot of the neighbors are invited to. Now, did you get a get a chance to read the whole script, or did you did you just read the parts that you auditioned for? In this instance, I did get to read the whole script. It's a good question. It's about at least half the time you don't get a whole script. You don't get a complete script. You certainly uh, don't often get a complete script before when you're initially auditioning. The further along you go in the process, the more the more chance you've got of getting that whole script. But um, I did get a whole when, when I was cast, so I, I knew what was on paper, and it's it's a thing to tra- follow and track and see where where that goes and what develops out of that script. Because some directors are are real sticklers. Somebody like Michael Mann, who I've worked with twice on um, The Insider and on the Dillinger movie with Johnny Depp, he he person who who 
basically, if it's on paper, that's the way it will be done. And he really controls so many aspects of the film, from details about costumes to to uh, colors of vehicles and everything. He wants his hand in that. And other other directors, you know, are, are much more loose with that. Um, it's it's an interesting process. There, therefore, to track it from beginning to end, see how it ends up. What did you think of the film overall? Because I I know it, it tackles issues that I don't think really had been addressed at the uh, as far as what happens as far as sales and with other farmers. Yeah, it's it's certainly I don't think it's been Matthew. I don't think it's been addressed um, in this kind of format. You're right. It has been addressed somewhat in in documentary films, um, uh, films like Food Inc. And uh, it's certainly been addressed in places like you know. Uh, sections of the New York Times, but you're right, in terms of a, of a commercial film, feature film, it's not been. And I think it's a pretty good job. Um, I do remember when we we had um, a, a week and a half run here in, down in Columbus um, when the movie was first available, and uh, I did serve talkbacks with audiences here, and there were some questions of confusion about um, the seeds and the corn versus soybeans and the GMO issues. He, he tries not to make the film all about that, and therefore I think that the, it does raise some questions that aren't quite answered. I think, you know, overall the film does a fine job, you know, kind of balancing the family story and the, the political side of um, agribusiness. Um, I don't know, you've read some of the, the early reviews that came out um, or not from the festivals when it, when it first showed a year and a half ago. But they were really interesting mixed. Like some some of the reviewers just said this is uh, death of a salesman meets Griff the Rat. <laughs> um, and some people said, you know, it's Dennis Quaid's best performance. Others said he was horrible. So I I couldn't wait to see it, you know, to kind of make up my own mind. Well, I like the fact I think when you have polarizing opinions that that seems like it's you no matter what, you've made a bigger impact. I think being mediocre is probably even worse than being bad. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, um, and I I remember watching it and thinking it, it was funny you mentioned Death of a Salesman and Grapes of Wrath. I kept thinking of it as almost a Shakespearean tragedy, and without without giving away anything, um, it sticks to it. The film sticks to its guns. Uh, I don't think there was a focus group saying you should change this, you should change that. Right. I think you're absolutely right. Um, it uh, yeah, and without giving anything away either, uh, any anything specific. I had several people comment at the talkbacks down here that. Uh, it it uh, it's relentless, you know. Mm -hmm. um, in, in some regards, it is relentless. And um, you know, if, if one is looking for a quote feel good movie, um, and depending on one's definition or or expectations of hope in film, um, you know, you got to be <laughs> you got to be open minded. Mm -hmm. But I, I like I like that I like your 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 kind of analogy with Shakespeare as well because. Uh, yeah, it's it's um, you know we look back at a, at a Shakespearean play or or a work and and we go wow these are these are this is, these are life and death issues, and uh, Hollywood tends to dramatize them in a particular way that that aren't as gritty and down to earth and real seeming and and this one is very real you know mm -hmm. and that's maybe why it's unsettling for some people. Um, now of course the film is out on DVD and Blu-ray. Have have you got a copy of it yet? I don't have a copy yet. I just actually just was uh, in my red box, and I saw the big ad for it. So, uh, oh, good. Yeah, I'll have to get a copy one of these days. You're not hanging out in front of the red box, right? Just suggesting. No. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> right. What's next? <laughs> um, 
No, I'm not. Yeah. And and there isn't a Tim Grimm portion of your library at home. There, there. Well, there is sort. You know, I have real, <laughs> I have a real mixed feelings about that. You know what I mean? But I, I, um, I think like a lot of actors and performers, there. You know, we have to have some amount of ego to just survive. And the balance, for me at least, and a lot of people with with actually a true level of shyness and what am I doing here? Um, and why am I doing this? So it's, um, I, I do, and I started to do it when the kids got older, uh, have a little little library. Because there's, you know, there's now close to a dozen films that I've done. And I've got a bunch of uh, the television stuff that I did also on DVD and yeah, movies and stuff like that. So it's interesting. And occasionally we'll go back and look at that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, this is your second time with the Dennis Quaid film. Um, do you have a connection with him, or does or is it just not work? Really, not really. You know, um, we, when we did the Express, um, I reminded him it's actually sort of the third time because when I when I graduated from high school, um, I graduated in '78, and that summer after high school, before I went to college there in Richmond at Earlham College, um, I saw a notice in the local paper they're casting. Uh, bicycle racers for this new movie called Breaking Away. <laughs> of course. And um, I actually hopped on my bike in Columbus, and I was doing a lot of um, uh, uh, doing a lot of centuries, hundred mile rides. And I hopped on my bike and rode over and met the casting director for Breaking Away, and ended up getting in a, in a couple of those those uh, racing and uh, played an extra in a couple of other scenes. And it was kind of my taste of that or foot in the water of that. Um, Technically, it's maybe my third movie with Dennis Quaid. So we'll have to press pause next time we watch it. Oh, big time, big time! You need <laughs> super slow mo. Yep. See, this is fun. This is fun. This this is like the the Hoosier story, where I think they've had about five hundred extras, but about twenty thousand people have said they've been in Hoosiers. But you know, yeah. we, we'll we'll look for you on pause. <laughs> Now I was, of course, doing research, and I, I love I love the fact that watching The Insider and, and Backdraft is research. But going through your IMDb file, you, it's great that you have a great you have a number of actual character names over job descriptions in your in your resume. I, I it's yeah, the get a character name is is um, is sort of important to me anymore, you know. <laughs> um, and and occasionally, well, you know. Occasionally, the movie where you know the second Chicago cop, uh, second East Chicago cop, or something is what we ended up doing in in the Dillinger movie. And then, and basically, I'm not going to complain about that because even with the best freeze frame, I don't think you'll ever find me in that film. Um, <laughs> we I did a we, we had a nice scene uh, Christian Bale, and that just that whole thing is gone. That whole segment of the movie is gone. It's right before Dillinger gets shot, and, and what can you do? Right, and I, I I learned that early on um, back in shooting Clear and Present Danger, and um, I had probably three other sizable scenes with Harrison Ford that uh, just the two of us that were cut from the film, um, and I'm not complaining about screen time in that movie at all because there's 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 a nice amount, but I did learn that you have no control over that, but I also have learned over the years that that I like to have a name, <laughs> you know, <laughs> give me a name. So long as your name is on the check as well. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> now, you I know you worked with Michael Mann twice. Um, did you get Public Enemies because of your work in The Insider, or was that through the agent as well? Uh, no, it, it helped a lot. Um, um, Michael Mann, when I, I did go in for an initial taping, and when Michael went through those tapes, um, 
he was aware that that I was working on the Chicago market at that point. And um, so I ended up going in a couple more times. There was there was one slightly larger part, a, a pretty good part actually, that, that I was up for until the very last minute. Um, and they cast somebody very very physically different than me um, for that other part. But but he was he was gunning for me in a, in a positive way. He um, he uh, I think he wanted 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 to be able to use me in that film in some in some capacity. So that was a nice a nice um, you know result of having worked with him before. Now, I, I watched The Insider last night preparing for this, and, and this is one of those films that you get sucked in immediately, even if you're channel surfing and you feel you should devote 20 to 30 minutes uh, watching it. How long did it take to shoot that? And I'm, I'm always thinking of the sequence where you you and the other actor are following Russell Crowe from the living room to the bedroom. Right, right. That that took um, – we, we actually shot that pretty quickly, and I want to say that, that – that whole sequence actually from the and maybe our car pulls up and we're going across the lawn into the house until uh, the time we leave. I think we're on that probably eight hours, eight or nine hours. So not bad, you know. I mean, it's not 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 terribly long. We we shot that in the day. Nothing nothing Kubrick like. No, no, no. <laughs> and uh, I guess can you tell folks what you remember most about working on a uh, backdraft? Backdraft, backdraft. Is cool. It was it was my first um, you know real big feature film. A couple of independent films before that, and Backdraft was was this. Everything was in a way compressed for me because I'm in in a a medium sized room with Robert De Niro and Donald Sutherland. You know, basically sitting across the table from two guys, and uh, I did pinch myself a couple of times that day. We shot that a couple <laughs> of days. I, I pinched myself both days. You know, and I remember. Um, I think the, the morning of the second day, and I'm walking down the hallway, and I just just De Niro coming down the hallway toward me, you know, and and he's you know he fire fiery intense and and really staying in the character and and got that sort of serious almost glum look on his face, and you know as I walk by, I'm thinking, do I say something? To, you know, we worked one day together, and we're going to work today, and I, you know, and he he looked up at me and said, hey, and then nodded, and walked on down the hall. You know. <laughs> Robert De Niro's an eye to me. I was, a, you know, in in the beginning of this, so it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, a, a title I was curious about because I I have not seen it, but I have talked to uh, I've had one of my first guests on the film show was F. Murray Abraham. Yeah. So yeah. what was it like working on Joshua? Oh, he was he was delightful. Uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun. It was it was almost uh, uh, a hoop or campy for me because. Um, uh, you know, I'm playing a, um, a bishop, um, and and I'm wearing the long robes the entire time. And um, we have a scene where he he um, he comes into my my office and uh, uh, pleads a particular case, and uh, I, I I'm the guy with a fair amount of humor humor in that scene. And uh, he was delightful. He mm-hmm. was um, one of those people there, and 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 they're out there who. We're just, you know, really regular, everyday guys who, who take into account, you know, I'm a well-known person, F. Murray Abraham. You are not, you know, um, but I'm going to treat you just like uh, the, my best friend. It's interesting because you really get an idea of uh, uh, personalities in this business, you know. Basically. Yeah, yeah but he seems, he he's a working guy. Yep, exactly. So. Yep. Now, how often, have you had your music done, used in uh, TV or movies? Um, I, when I was back 
back in the day, in the early 90s, when I was on Reasonable Doubts on NBC for two years, um, in the second season, after uh, the first year ended, I was disbarred as a lawyer. I was divorced uh, by my wife. But I came back the second season out of prison and followed my dream, which was to be a blues singer uh, on, on, the, on the series. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the character's dream. So I actually did, uh, did two episodes uh, with a barroom blues band um, and played in, in two of those episodes. And I also had another, I think, so I had three, three episodes of that show. But, but other than that, on film, no. I actually pitched to Ramin um, some of my farm song material for any price, but they had already set their um, their sound designer and the, the music person for that show, so it didn't work. Well, you, I keep trying. Exactly. What what else you What else you got to lose? Right. Now I, I'm not going to ask how much, but how often do checks pop up in the mail? Um, they're really on a quarterly basis, pretty much. Okay. Um, some things can come in loosely, like um, um, I get at odd times residuals that are foreign residuals, and they'll come in in about. I can tell it's a pink envelope, and it's an explanation sheet of of perhaps uh, all the S's: Switzerland and um, Sweden and, uh, and the Sudan or someplace. Are going six of the movies of the week that I shot, you know, mm-hmm. ten years ago, and. Um, they don't add up to a lot, put it that way, when, when they're foreign um, stuff. But, yeah, it's probably four times a year I'll get a series or batches of checks pretty much from everything I've ever done. And it's 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 a nice perk of being an actor. They do get smaller and smaller <laughs> as time goes on. Uh, but uh, it's kind of like Christmas money. Tad, Tad Robinson calls them hello checks. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what you say when you pop it open. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very sweet. So, uh, what what are you working on next? Um, I go to. Um, I'm heading over to uh, Ireland in about a week and a half, mm-hmm. and um, I am leading a tour of about twenty music fans of mine, uh, ten days, and from there uh, I go with my wife, son, and a, a Dutch fiddle player to the Netherlands, uh, the UK, Germany, and Italy for about six weeks of touring music. Not a bad life. Not. I'm not going to complain about that one. <laughs> and then in the winter time, um, I'm going to go to Oslo Rep Theater in Sarasota, and we're going to remount the Grapes of Wrath, which we did at IRT many years ago. Well, Tim, I, I really appreciate your time, but I'm curious. Do you have a DVD copy of Steel Magnolias? Ah, uh, <laughs> no. I have got a VHS copy. Better than nothing. Exactly. You've not seen it, have you? No, I, I I was checking IMDb, and that was was that the very very first thing you you did, TV wise. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What, what do you remember, Jackson? <laughs> Which is what we named. Um, I remember that happened in a whirlwind. Um, I was um, again. My Chicago agent called. Said they're they are um, shooting a pilot for Steel Magnolias, and I was aware of it as a play, um, and I think I was aware of it as a movie. And they want to make a television series, and uh, can you come in, it's one of those, can you come in tomorrow and and be put on tape, because this thing is going to go very quickly. I went in, um, and I did it 
did a taped uh, audition, and they like overnighted it. I stayed in Chicago, and then they wanted an adjustment, so uh, which means that the director wanted to see something slightly different or maybe a different scene. I gave them the adjustment, and um, they said, okay, you are going to fly out tomorrow to L.A. to meet the director and the producer, and um, if you get it, they're only going to see two or three people. If you get it, you will immediately fly down to Natchitoches, Louisiana, and begin shooting. And the the story with this piece was that, which I found remarkable and kind of amazing and kind of ludicrous at the same time, is that they could not find the the, the actor they wanted to play Jackson in Los Angeles. And they were widening the scope, but they'd gotten so far that production was already already scheduled. So I went out, met with the director, met with the producer, and they hired me. And the next thing I knew, I was in Nacogdoches working with, you know, Cindy Williams and Wayne Stritch and Polly Bergen. Um, just an amazing, you know, assortment of women down there. And I felt very lucky. Well, Tim, thank you for representing the Midwest on that one. <laughs> and in general. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you for what you're doing, too, out here in the Midwest. We do what we can. That's Tim Grimm. That was, I believe, last year. But uh, you can see Tim Grimm on stage at Indiana Repertory Theater in their production of Finding Home, Indiana at 200, which is running through November 19th. Go to IRTlive.com for more information. And ladies and gentlemen, we just have a few more minutes left. Um, We're going to dip into the archives once more. This one goes out to Joan, and she knows why. Ladies and gentlemen, here is my quick little chat with Padma Lachmi. Enjoy. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Padma. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're hanging here in Indianapolis. I'm good. I'm good. We're just um, we're sitting here drinking up some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Very happy, jittery people. Well, <laughs> that's good to know. When when it comes to summer, what what is the first uh, dish that you think of? Well, you know, I think there's nothing so classic in summer as ice cream. And I'm going to show you how to dress up ice cream and make it into a fabulous dessert and give your guests a coffee all rolled into one. And the recipe is so easy, but if you don't write it down, it's on Nespresso.com. Basically, Nespresso makes these great espresso machines. Their coffee machines are renowned all over the world. And um, they basically have a pixie machine, which is the one I love. It comes in a lot of colors. You pop the little capsule of coffee in the best possible coffee you make the espresso you just take a beautiful simple scoop of vanilla ice cream put it in a coffee cup pour the espresso hot over it sprinkle some chocolate chips and drizzle some caramel sauce that is it you could add nuts you could add cinnamon you know you could add peanut butter chips but that's the basic recipe and again if your viewers are you know sorry if your listeners are driving or whatever it's on the website go to nespresso.com Sounds like a good movie treat as well. It's awesome, honestly. It, you know, they have this beautiful um, milk machine called the Arachino, and it's basically you just plug it in, and it steams up the milk and gives you that foam, just like those high-end uh, co- you know, coffee bars all across Italy and Switzerland and France. It foams everything up. It steams the milk in one second. It's beautiful. Actually, probably about 30 seconds, but it's so easy to do. Well, can you tell us a little bit of uh, what's in store for season 10 of Top Chef? Well, we haven't filmed it yet, so there's not much I can tell you. We're in pre-production right now. I think we're just all racking our brains and figuring out how we're going to top Texas from last last season. I mean, we had such an inc- 
incredible, incredible season. And, and we're just gearing to shoot. It'll probably be on the fall. And I think we're trying to shake it up again. I think you'll see a lot of surprises. I mean, you know, Charlize Theron and Patti LaBelle were on last season. So who knows who they'll come up with this season. Padma, we can top Texas, Indianapolis. <laughs> it sounds good to me. <laughs> so I was curious, um, when you see somebody cooking in a movie, do you pay extra special attention to see if they're actually doing it right? You know, that's a great question. I do, actually. I'm a big freak about continuity um, because, you know, I come from theater and I've done a couple of movies, and so I can always tell when there's not continuity or when someone's phoning it in. And, like, you know that scene um, in Jerry Maguire where Renee Zellweger answers the door? Watch it when they cut to his view. Her um, necklace is tied differently. Ah, yes. (laughs) So who can, movie-wise, who can cook? You know what? Stanley Tucci can cook his face off. That is not, he is not playing. Everything in Big Night is very authentic. Great so film. So can Martin Scorsese. His first student film was a film about his mom's spaghetti sauce. He gave me a copy of it. It's brilliant. And didn't she do all the cooking in that one kitchen scene in Goodfellas? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's an incredible scene. So anytime uh, we're going to see you in a movie anytime soon? I have a couple of offers, but my problem is my scheduling. You know, mm-hmm. you have to really do one thing and do it well. I, would, I haven't been in a movie since I started Top Chef five years ago. My last film was for the BBC. I would love to do another film. It just has to be the right one and, and work with the schedule, which is not always easy. I'm just thankful for my job on Top Chef at this point. Of course. Padma, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care, Matthew. All right, you too. The interview that rolled a thousand eyes, Padma and myself. Ladies and gentlemen, some words to live by. Silent Green is people! Zardoz has spoken. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan.